for me, the economy is me, myself. I'm part of the economy of God. It is the human capital that can mine those resources and then convert it into some degree of a sustainable society. Commonwealth in context of the kingdom should be the wealth that is available to all of us for the purposes of carrying out the mandate that is in God's heart and mind. It's really about how are we managing that resource and making impact with what we have already. Hello and welcome to Unlock the Kingdom Within You. This podcast explores the profound truth about what it means to be born into the kingdom, not a religion. On this podcast, we challenge the religious and denominational norms which shackle us from expressing the liberty of Christ by exploring the kingdom, the ecclesia and citizenship. If you're born into the kingdom but lost in religion, then this channel is just for you. So thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Welcome back, everybody. This is the last session of the day. So I hope you have some energy. If not, maybe stand up and, and do the spaghetti. <laughs> That's the thing. Okay, so yeah, glad you're still with us. I hope you have been energized. I hope the sessions are sparking some thoughts. It's definitely sparking some thoughts in me. Um, we are going to be focusing on a topic that I find very, very interesting, and that's growing the Commonwealth economy, okay? Growing the Commonwealth economy. We're going to first start by defining terms, so we just have a collective understanding of what we are talking about. Um, first of all, so just to confirm who's on the line. So we have Ivan. Can you say hello? Just to make hello. sure. Hello. Okay. And then we've got Charles. Can you say hi? Hi. Okay, and then we've got Anderson. Can you say yay, yay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's mix it up. <laughs> okay, so have we got Anderson on the line? Okay, and, okay. You're mute. mute. That's why I can hear you. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Got you, got you. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at growing the Commonwealth uh, growing the, the Commonwealth economies, okay? Okay, so first of all, let's define what we mean when we talk about economy, just like the basic secular understanding of economy. I'm just going to read a definition um, that I just Googled, because, you know, Google is never wrong on anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Google defines the economy as the state of a country or region in terms of production and consumption consumption of goods and services and the supply of money. Okay, and then a second definition says, careful management of available resources. Okay, so uh, if we could just quickly do a quick round, how do you define economy? Do you agree with that definition? Or how else might you explain what is just simply economy? Not kingdom economy, just economy. Um, uh, Ivan, could you start on that? Thanks. Mm, some people may think money, 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 money. <laughs> some people got to have it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is a very limiting definition of the economy. The okay. economy includes everything that, uh, that uh, we represent. For me, the economy is me, myself. I'm, I'm part of the economy of God. Okay. Everything that God puts in my hands is also part of the economy of God. All the relationships okay. that, I, that I have is part of the economy of God. I'll stop there. Okay, thanks. So we're just defining economy as is commonly understood. 
So, uh, Charles, maybe you can come in. Well, I guess if, if we remove the God equation, <laughs> what everybody yes. thinks, and we're basically talking about the state or, or the financial state or um, capacity of an individual, of a country, of an organization, of a yeah. government, which then would determine their capacity to develop, move forward, or stagnate. Okay. And Anderson, how do you define economy? Well, fact, I'm going to start because saying, you're uh, the last one. Could you define economy and then perhaps offer a definition of kingdom economy, and then we can explore that. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. From within the context of um, economics, as is defined by most people, particularly within the corridors of the church, once once we hear e e economics, e economy. We see dollars and dollars and dollar signs, and we hear cha-ching. We see um, cash register and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it, the economy basically deals either with the the capability to convert raw resources um, into into um, certain level of goodwill, uh, certain level of peace, certain levels of um, comfort and security inside of a society. It is the human capital that can mine those resources and then convert it into some degree of a sustainable society, some degree of sustainability within the society. Uh, that's, a, that's the most yeah. basic definition of economics on that particular scale. And you could go on and on and on and you could get into a lot of um, uh, uh, intellectual and academic issues. Yes. When dealing with the the economy of the kingdom, on the most basic levels, you're dealing with what you call um, God's household rules. Okay. The word for economy in the Greek language is oikodomio, and it, and it deals with the, the rules of a house, the principles that govern a people, the laws and the policies and the protocols and the, and the constitution under which those persons are governed and the way in which they live by those given rules. And so if you look at the economy within a kingdom context, yes. um, the economy deals with more than just your capability to produce, but it also deals with you following the basic rules that God will approve of in your in your ability to produce. So it's not just capacity, but it's also the ability to live in a certain way that God, that your behavior is, is approved of by the Lord. So that's, again, very basic, but I guess as the conversation continues, we can expand on that. But on the most basic levels, Oikud Demir deals with God's household rules. God's household rules. Okay. So, um, Ivan, perhaps you could chip in. Like, what do we mean when we say commonwealth or a kingdom economy? You know, historically... Charles, if you can come in after that. Yes. Yeah, historically, I used to think of commonwealth as um, the services that everybody needs in a particular region. Good streets, okay. good lights... Um, quality schools, quality houses, that's the commonwealth. I used to think of it in that way. Now, when it comes to the kingdom of God and God's economia, the rules of the house, to me, that means God has already got all the provisions for his house, for his um, kingdom. And 
if we align ourselves as kingdom citizens, then we will be given instructions on how to use those resources to see the kingdom manifest where we are. So I'm a steward, but I follow the instructions of the king to do with the things that he puts at my disposal and at the ecclesia's disposal to implement the house rules of God on the earth. That's how I see it. Nice. Okay. And Charles? Again, my usual phrase, confirmation bias. You hear the term commonwealth? You're coming from, uh, they no longer call us third world, by the way. They call us the global south, a much portion name. It gives us more value. So if you come from the global south, commonwealth would mean the country is under the king or queen's domain, and the world is only common with the king and nobody else. So that'll be a primary mindset that would already inform the thinking. So when you come to a church context and the term commonwealth is used, it is unfortunately usually first interpreted as sharing meager resources. Mm -hmm. okay. That's a primary mindset because the, the picture we have that most people will draw from the term commonwealth, and if you think about it, those two terms are, are oxymorons, common and wealth, which already in the natural sense doesn't make sense. Wealth is not common, but on the kingdom sense, it's supposed to be common. So it's an entirely different mindset in that way of thinking. And most of us see it in the context of the book of Acts, where they say that none among them lacked anything. And usually our mindset is that they were sharing the little they had so that everybody had something mm. as opposed to the understanding that what was going on in the book of Acts, essentially, if you track it properly, the entire economy or resources that they were distributing actually came from literally one man, Barnabas. He had sold his land and made resources available. Why? Because a lot of the people who'd traveled from afar for the Passover, and then of course, which then became Pentecost, wanted to know more about this kingdom reality. And so they stayed longer than would be normal. Mm. And so the community made resources available. And that was the context. But the way it's normally preached, it's preached as if it's a group of people that were hanging out together and everybody was sharing resources just to stay alive or just to be okay. And therefore we justify meager resources, which then disempower us from actually moving the kingdom forward. So commonwealth in context of the kingdom should be the wealth that is available to all of us for the purposes of carrying out the mandate that is in God's heart and mind. That's the principle. Wow. Okay. So, Charles, you just broke. You just broke. You just broke people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, I think you touched on something very powerful, and I think you said that. Um, so we should move away from that meager mind mindset, and also the fact that I think you mentioned that we are supposed to be wealthy. I might be putting words in your mouth. That's the question I'm putting forward. Are we supposed to be wealthy as a people, or even as individuals? Is that like, uh, okay. is there a standard me, that we should expect? Let me respond to that. Yes. Wealth is relative based on something Anderson mentioned earlier, capacity. It's relative. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what one person calls wealth could be somebody's pocket change. The issue yeah. is really not whether we should be wealthy or not. The issue is what impact would we have 
when the resources got into our hands. So the dynamic of impact far exceeds the measurement of wealth. So I think really that's what we should shift to. We should shift to impact, not per se resources, because a lot of the wealthiest people on earth probably have impact of 0.01% of their value. And there's people with much less resource having greater impact. So wealth in its proper context, if it was to operate from a kingdom dynamic, would be the most powerful force for impact, not so much the idea okay. of who became wealthy or not. Yes. So you're saying that the emphasis should be on impact. Okay. So Ivan, I'm going to put that question to yourself. Um, are we supposed to be wealthy or are we supposed to be poor? We, we, to me, it's not a question of whether we're supposed to be wealthy. We are wealthy if we recognize okay. whose house whose house we live in. If it's God's house rules and we are in God's house and he owns everything, then we are wealthy. We just don't know. We just haven't recognized that. And we don't understand how to, to use wealth to impact society for the sake of the kingdom of God. If our intent was right and our purpose was right, then we would, it wouldn't be a question of how wealthy are you? It's what kind of impact are we having in the society which reflects the manifestation of the kingdom of God in people's lives. Designed by Citizens for Citizens, the Nation Builders app is designed for you to get involved with building the society Jesus had in mind. The app is built upon four principles, connect, communicate, community, and collaborate. Connect through your very own digital profile, share your thoughts and ideas through engaging posts, videos, and events. Communicate. Develop long-lasting friendships with fellow citizens through your own personal inbox. Receive real-time alerts on new comments, messages, likes, and friend requests. Community. Our open-door policy means you can connect with online communities and special interest groups to fellowship together. Collaborate. Our civic spaces focus on cultivating the civic life of citizens through community, education, governance, and enterprise. Don't delay. Sign up for free now at www.nationbuilders.community or download our free Nation Builders app on Play Store. Amen. Yeah, I really think you said something really powerful. You know, we are wealthy. I think part of how the enemy impoverishes us is to make us think that we have lack in the first place. It's literally yeah. what the enemy did in the garden. You know, the Lord said, have all these trees. You can eat anything apart from this one tree. <laughs> And then the serpent comes to the to the uh, the woman, and he makes her feel like there's something missing. There's scarcity. You know? So scarcity. Yeah. Imagine having so much abundance and yet you have a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. So I think there is something that we need we need to tap in, because God is wealth. There is wealth in the kingdom. It's really about how are we managing that resource and making impact with what we have already. Because if you think you're poor. You become poor, indeed, <laughs> even, even if you have money. Um, okay, so what's the difference between the love of money and wealth creation? Um, Anderson, would you like to come in on that? Also, if anybody wants to just come in, feel free just to come in, and I will try to manage the conversation. So, some people define wealth as the utilization of their resources that are primarily designed to satisfy their own need. And um, some of them love admiring the many zeros in their bank account or the lack of zeros in their bank account. <laughs> some of them, um, all of their energies, all of their 
their, their resources are directed primarily towards their own selfish need. Uh, that, that is what I would define on a most basic level as the love of money. It is almost as if they, they are owned by the monies that they, that, they, that they work for, or all their energies are invested in just making another dollar for themselves. In terms of wealth creation, it is a matter of utilizing and discovering uh, the broad dimensions of God's enormous plan. And it's a matter of acknowledging the power of creation that lives inside of your own, inside of your own heart and mind and the ability to effectively utilize that in order to generate income for the advance of God's intentions. At no point should your personal resources be so fixated on your individual need that you cannot see the bigger plan of God. And that takes me to the most fundamental scripture that most of us are aware of, that God gives us the sheil or the power, the capacity wow. to get wealth. Um, and so when we talk about the capacity to get wealth, to get wealth that, that involves basically um, all of the utilization of your own natural faculty in order to generate income. That is not just a matter of investments. Most people might think investments, but how do you define uh, investments in a day when those scriptures were given, when the concept of investment was not existing? How do you define uh, banking? Because most of us, when you hear God giving you the power to get wealth, we utilize modern day acceptable concepts in order to justify it. And we think, well, we could go to a venture capitalist and, and uh, broach an idea and hope that they would be able to provide you with a certain level of startup income, startup capital to build a business. But at that particular time, it involved in a very real sense, tapping into the mind of God for creative ideas in order to advance his intentions. It mm -hmm. sounds a bit puerile, but the truth is when God could come to a man and say to him, well, you don't have to run to another city the way other people are going. There's drought here. Dig yeah. wells right here. It means that the mind of God and the spirit of God is sufficient to allow us to tap into an economy that God has that exists way outside of the landscape of our acceptable norms. Yeah. And I think the moment we begin to see it like that, we begin to lift our gaze a little bit higher. We begin to think a little bit more profoundly because of we are still utilizing 2023 concepts to define principles that existed without most of these economic models that we have grown accustomed to. In those days, it came down to hearing God and obeying God. In those days, it came down to living outside of the perimeters of acceptable norm. And in a day of drought, a man had to go and dig wells. It, it, it required that, that, that you had to tap into a dimension of God that was for real and generate the kind of resources to take his purpose going forward. Mm, wow. Okay. I've been, Maybe I should interject. There. Oh, Charles, come in. Yes. Yeah. I, I guess you asked the question, and then I'll draw a lot from what Andy's yes. saying. You asked the question, the love of money. And I think we need to define that on, on three levels. Love of money has nothing to do with having money. Okay. Absolutely. Need, greed, both a love of God, love of money. 
So a needy man can be just as dangerous as a greedy man when it yes. comes to money. They could be driven by the same absolute yeah. forces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I add a third dimension. The word love there strongly uh, uh, points towards trust. When you trust money more than, you know, it, it's where your trust is based on. So you think the solution can only come from. The only way out of your situation is if you had. And, and like Andy said, that the, the only, the true, when we talk about true wealth, it comes from hearing from God. That's the primary principle. But you can't hear from God until you deal with these three dimensions. Until you deal with a need-based mentality, a greed-based mentality, or a posture that trusts money. It's almost like these three things switch you off from the spiritual realm. Makes it almost impossible for you to hear. But the minute you deal with them and understand that, you see, if, if your source is supernatural, then the material is secondary in power. Yeah. In simple terms. The, the money yeah. itself, the wealth itself, then has yeah. less power than the source from which it came from. Mm-hmm. which then makes you more focused on hearing from God than on wondering about how much you've made or not. Then yes. it is easy because you're not governed by need or greed or trust of what has come from another source. So you've trusted God, not what God produced for you. I, I, let me, I want yeah. to get back to the, to the critical point that listener, and this is so important, for mine, I think, for most of our understanding of kingdom economy. And, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And the more we begin, the more we continue to define kingdom econ- economic, e- economics by looking at patterns inside of this cosmos or this current arrangement, we are, we are literally spinning top in mud, as they say in the Caribbean. This is a mad, mad analysis he engaged in right here. The kingdom has an economy of its own. That is one of the most profound concepts that I could actually say to you. The kingdom has an economy of its own. And think about that on the broad levels. If at all, a guy like Elijah, knowing, well, okay, my personal income, my personal finances would be affected by me declaring a curse on the economic system inside uh, of Ahab's world, how, how authoritative will I do that? Knowing that if I do that, it affects my income. But when you could speak with that authority and tell you have no rain, your entire agrarian economy will be affected by this one word. There'll be no rain in this country for three and a half years. And then after that, this man tapped into another economic model. Tell me which raven will bring a man a meal. <laughs> and that's a real concept. Ravens don't bring meal. Raven will take your meal. Then you go down to a woman in Zarephath. That is almost everything about that is contrary to natural laws. Then you go to another woman and say, listen, make me a cake first. There is an economy outside of our natural economy. So in other words, though you may live in a third world country, paraphrase, you live in in global global south, and, and you have vision to do what God calls you to do, but the economy of your country basically says that you are incapable of doing it. You don't live by the economy of the country in which you live. God has an economy of his own. 
And it, it's not based on banking. It is not based on investing. It is not based on stealing and corruption. It's based on believing him and deferring to his household rules. Fundamental, but so important. Obedience. Mm. While we're here, maybe I should throw something else in. And um, this may sound odd to a lot of people who've lived by this model. We, the, the last iteration of church in an attempt to go into economy, now using exactly what Andy is talking about, ended up with a concept called the seven mountains, all right? Mm. Yes. <laughs> and uh, seven mountains speaks clearly exactly of what Anderson is saying. Trying to model from this cosmos, trying to go in and manipulate, take over, take charge, mm. shift, shift the seats around and hope that you'll get something done. And I can guarantee you 90% of the people who went in haven't come back yet. Yeah. Having said that, there is a different dynamic so, called the mountain yes. of the Lord's house. The mountain of the house. That's the mountain. The mountain that all mountains will flow to. So the principle is we have to access, if we're going to talk kingdom economy, we're going to talk about getting resources from the mountain of the Lord's house. And the seven mountains will come to that mountain and ask teachers the the yes. Yes, We will not come down from this mountain to enter those mountains. That's not how it works. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I want to challenge us a bit. So there's an idea that you know, sometimes we can be, um, we spiritualize things, yeah? So, for example, especially around the time when pros prosperity gospel was the thing, you know, it's like, sow your seed and then you get your breakthrough or your 24-hour miracle or et cetera, et cetera. And whilst a lot of that was happening, a lot of times, you know, I was thinking, you know, why don't they just teach practically what to do to make or to increase your wealth or your, your riches? Um are we running the risk of sounding like uh, when we say like God provides uh, or has his own mountain, for example, do we run the risk of, of um, not being practical? Does that make sense? No, like, I, I would start by saying, well, what do you mean by being practical? Because <laughs> yeah, so, it's being practical yes. that has us in this current state. You think we so? have okay, settled for being practical and not yes. settled for being radical. Radical. Mm, okay, and okay, radical okay. is ruthless obedience. Yes. And the reason why we, I think we have we have settled for being practical, it's we now in a church with no with no miracles. With we have no anticipation of God moving on our behalf. We have become almost like Zachariah offering sacrifices every single day and then absolutely stunned by the fact that God responded <laughs> because he wasn't anticipating God to respond yes. because yes. he was just quartered in the ritual of doing a religious thing. And when an angel showed up, like, good heavens, I wasn't expecting you. <laughs> but we have settled for the practical now, mind you, while I understand the point that you're making, we still, being spiritual does not rob us of common sense. That's a very yeah. fundamental point, right? It doesn't rob yes. us of common sense. 
I'm not saying that we, you must be loose with your spending. You must be reckless with your investing. You must be indisciplined in your operations. You, you just don't seek out opportunities in order to generate some degree of wealth. I'm not, I'm not dismissing none of that at all. All of those things I recommend we do because we are in fact living in a specific time. God determines the exact time that we shall live. So while we can describe biblical economics as a time without banks, without 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 venture capitalists, etc., we do have to take fact. We have we do have to take note of the fact that God determined that we be alive in a day when there are banks, when there are venture capitalists. And so we do have to utilize what is available to us. But while we utilize that, that is not the all in all. That is not the focal point. That is not the absolute of all of our pursuit. And that is important. Yes. Well, okay. Let me, while we're on that topic, because you went down that yeah. rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, I have a few more rabbit holes. So, all right. so, so here we are. Yeah. So here we are. First of all, yes. of all, I think we need to get away totally from the term spiritual, because I think that causes us okay. problems. Yes. I think the, the term supernatural more accurately defines interacting with, the, with God. Mm -hmm. In other words, the spiritual realm and the earthly realm, when those realms meet, something materializes, something supernatural, something out of the context of our norm. And that's the primary, every thought God had in creation, he materialized. So that's a context. The problem yes. is when we try to apply rules that don't fit, okay? Yes. So when you take a rule, a simple rule like sowing seed, you cannot take it away from its context. It right. is only in the church context that a seed grows in 24 hours. Absolutely <laughs> amazing. You know, nowhere else in creation does that happen. Because this is what I mean by the practical thinking, like there are laws, <laughs> there are principles. There are laws. If you uh, sow something, yes. there'll be a process, there'll be yeah. there'll be there'll be weeding, there'll be all yes. sorts of stuff before the harvest comes. I usually say sowing is an event, harvest is an event, but the yes. process in between is much longer. And yeah. so that's the reality yeah. that you need to get into. So that's the first principle. Secondly, there is never a violation by anybody who functions in a spiritual realm of natural laws because they are not dichotomous of supernatural laws. Yes. They are yes. totally interfaced. And I'll give you an example, the widow with a little oil, one yes. of the concepts we'll we discussed in our masterclass. Yes. That widow came to a prophet. If that widow had come to a prophet today, the prophet would have prayed in tongues and asked for a seed. <laughs> I would have been the model to deal with it, you know. But, but, but Elisha, the highest ranked prophet in the land who can speak to the king knows that there is a law that when debts are owed, they are paid. And he could have summoned the, the, the creditor and said, let this widow go. Mm. He didn't. He gave her a model. He gave her a process. He gave her a practical way, not only to deal with the issue, but to live outside of that realm. He did not violate civil law because the law said if somebody owed, you could take their children to pay off the debt. He didn't violate it. So there is yes. no way we are going to violate a law that God put in the earth that we call natural and think we'll supersede it with another law that God created called spiritual. They do not conflict. They right. work. That's together. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for joining our fireside talk about the kingdom. 
My name is Frederick Tobin, and I hope this podcast has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to continue to receive fresh insight into the kingdom, click the notification bell to follow us. For further information about the kingdom, visit our website, www.unlockthekingdomwithinyou.com, to download your free ebook. See you soon.